Hi, I'm Dubba. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest and welcome to the MTF podcast. I'm at Music Messe in Frankfurt right now. We're running the MTF Labs, uh, Trackathon, what we call the MTF Pro Labs, which is an innovation masterclass for industry leaders. And I'm also here making the podcast too. I've got some amazing inventions going on all around me, people working with artificial intelligence and the human voice, traditional musical instruments and imaginative new creations, as you might expect. But I was in Berlin just last week where I met up with Daniel Haver, CEO of Native Instruments. He very kindly invited me to spend some time at their headquarters and we had coffee in one of their artist lounges and a chat. Of course, Native Instruments are industry-leading pioneers in music software, as you know, musical instrument technologies and also innovation in accessibility in music performance. But I also wanted to talk to Daniel about his own journey and also his philosophy as a business leader in the world of music tech. From Native Instruments, this is CEO Daniel Haver. Daniel Haver, thank you so much for joining us for the MTF podcast. Thanks for having me. Were you a music tech guy who became a businessman or a business guy who became a music tech person? Uh, I guess I'm a business man who never became a tech guy. Uh huh. <laughs> because, uh, you know, my, my job is not to engineer anything. Um, my job is not even focused on product design, but it's really focused on strategy and building a company, uh, put a vision together and allow for us to all pursue certain goals. Mm -hmm. But I got to admit, I was always, uh, uh, and I'm still am, uh, of great respect for all the engineers that work at Native Instruments, be it on the software or the hardware or on the online services side, because it's something that I never really got into. I obviously understand what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned a lot uh, in these 22 years. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a tech guy. I'm just working in the tech industry uh -huh. as a business person, more or less. Right. Do you use your products? Um Rarely. Uh -huh. um, I'm, a, I'm a really diligent guitar player, and so Guitar Rig made it uh, onto my laptop. Yep. And uh, I, when I throw private parties, I play on Tractor. Uh-huh. Occasional that DJ. Is, that, that is, you know, no, I wouldn't consider myself a DJ. Really, uh -huh. it's more, more, more this like there is a party, and may, it may be my birthday, and maybe I'm going to play for my friends. Sure. It's more of that kind of thing. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm literally not a musician Per definition, I just again play a little bit the guitar, uh, some ACDC riffs, that kind of <laughs> kind of thing, uh, and not an engineer. Uh -huh. Okay, can I ask what did your parents do, and how did that shape where you've ended up? Um, I think that they had to do a lot, actually, with both aspects of it, of, of who I am here in this company, mm -hmm. uh, and the two aspects is uh, music and business. Uh huh. Really, and uh, music. My fa father uh, uh, um, used to be a clarinetist. Is that uh -huh. an English word? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, clar So he played played the clarinet actually really well. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, a music genre that I didn't like too much, Dixieland jazz. Right. Yeah. Was n was never really for me, but he he was really really good. So mm -hmm. he he kn knew what he was doing. So I grew up actually 
with someone playing an instrument. Uh, uh, we had a, also a piano at home. My 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 brother would take piano lessons, and I would take guitar lessons because uh-huh. that's what I got into when I was young. Yeah. You know, wanted to be uh, uh, another uh, rock star. Yeah. Um, but so I got this influence, and we listened to a ton of music at home. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, always the radio on. I got uh, my first LPs with six. Uh, uh, and, and I literally listened just to a lot of music and I listened to a lot of disco back then. That uh-huh. was what we played at home, but then also uh, a rock uh, uh, a lot. So I had this music environment, musical environment, I would say. Okay. Um, and then my father is an entrepreneur. Um, or was, he's dead now. Uh, um, but uh, he, he always taught me how it's possible to turn ideas into a business reality okay and so just combining these two things i guess yes my parents had probably quite an influence on where i am today and where was this it was in cologne uh I've, i'm actually from cologne i've been born in cologne germany and uh lived there for the first 18 years of my life uh at with my parents mm-hmm. and my brother and then hamburg and then, you know, then the university times. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, there was a bit of Trier in there, um, Germany's oldest city. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I went for a year to Spain. Okay. To just take a sabbatical, um, really just diving into the culture, into the language. Has that made a difference? It changed everything, actually. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, um... I'd say until I studied management business, mm-hmm. uh, as I said in Trier back then, yeah. and until then I'd say I just did what one expected me to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you go to school and you finish college and you go to the university and you ma- study management business because you want to possibly become a businessman at some point. And so I was just doing things and, it was okay, but I was just doing them for no particular reason, not like I had any passion. Right. And then the first time in my life that I decided I want to do something really that I really want mm-hmm. was when I went to Spain. Okay. So I just decided actually with a friend, funny enough, the guy that later on would start Ableton. Uh-huh, really? Yeah, the two of us. We were just in love with Spain. We loved the culture. Uh, um, and we said, look, let's live there for a year. Mm-hmm. And let's see what happens. And when I arrived in Spain and, and you know, I had my little uh, temporary apartment, I just felt so liberated. Uh-huh. I felt like, okay, this is the first time in your life that you really do what you want. And I got really bad marks uh, for my Engl- in my English and French classes in school. Okay. Or not bad, but, you know, actually bad in French and reasonable in English. Um, and then I learned Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I learned it overnight. Really? Just because I wanted. Yeah. And so that's where I got to know the power of free will, if you wish. Uh-huh. I wanted to do something, not because anyone said so, because I wanted it. And then suddenly I was 
really good at it. So okay. I was actually the fastest learner in my class. And, and you know, I, I was pretty fluent, uh, very fast. And really just because I just loved it so much. And when going through that experience and staying then in Spain, and I don't want to get hung up on Spain, but when I then went back to Trier to university, I said, no, no, this is not for me. I'm, I'm not a, academia is not for me. Uh-huh. I'm a doer. Uh, so I will do now. And last time I've chosen to live in Barcelona. So this time, what's the nicest city? Because I wanted to come back to Germany. And I said, what's the nice city in Germany that I know? Hamburg. Okay, I moved to Hamburg. I didn't have a job yet, uh, but just moved there. And then, you know, I don't want to go into more details. But ever since, I've not done one thing in my life, big picture, uh-huh. that I didn't want to do. Is that your big advice that you give is, is, uh, for people, is, is do the thing that, is, you know, that really drives you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a cliche. Listen to your heart. Yeah. Um, obviously, you need to have a certain, I think you need a certain fire that really burns in, in you. Mm-hmm. But if you feel that, follow it. Right. I know a lot of people that just never felt the fire. <laughs> and then my advice is, 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 is not great because it doesn't work for them because uh-huh. they just don't have this thing that they are so passionate about. Is it that you are passionate about this one thing that you do or is it that you have a fire to do something in the world and this happens to be what it is? It's a bit of both. I think in general I'm a rather passionate person. Uh, I really want to do something in this life because I believe I have just this and there's nothing after it. Sure. I'm absolutely certain about that part. Uh, but at the same time, I was also always lucky to then find things that I'm just in love with mm-hmm. and, uh, that get me fired up and Native Instruments was such a thing. You know, I don't want to, don't know if you want to jump there. I'm just saying when I, when I see something that I get, that gets this fire burning up, then, yeah, and then I'm all up for it, and then I can do it. This, these early years that, that we've been talking about, were these party years? Were you in the clubs? Were you, I mean, you, you said you started listening to disco. I, I presume that took you to dance music. Uh, were you a, a clubber? Yes. Uh, uh, I was a party person for sure, sure. Uh, since age of 14, you know. Funny enough, I just talked to my nephew, and he's 18, and he's barely partying. And I go like, <laughs> what kind of life is that? I don't even get it, you know? Sure. And No, but I've been, been, been on many parties, uh, uh, always love to dance. I'm a big dancer. I literally love dancing. Mm-hmm. For me, music is al- almost, and, and moving your body, it belongs for me. Uh-huh. That's why I got into classic very, very late. Because people just sitting there and listening, you know, <laughs> that idea uh, uh, on its own was ridiculous to me for sure. many, many years. Now I'm getting older. I'm, I'm starting to understand <laughs> that you can also dance in your head. <laughs> but uh, uh, so, yeah, I was I was really a clubber. Uh, um, but taking it to the extreme once I got into electronic music, because right. that was also a pivotal moment in my life. Because you're something of an athlete as well, aren't you? You were you were doing motocross when you were really young, and uh, you're snowboarding still. Yeah, yeah, I, I am. I am actually just uh, came back a couple of weeks ago from a snowboard trip. But um, I wouldn't consider myself an athlete. I just like sports. Uh, uh, I like some kite surfing. I like snowboarding. Uh, I used to do motocross. That's right. And, and, and the first, uh, yeah, the, when I was. 
from, I guess, 16 to 20 something. Mm -hmm. But then it just was too expensive and hard to do besides whatever I did. Um, but yeah, there is a sportive uh, side in me, but uh, I don't think that I'm... A Comparatively speaking, you're the athlete in this conversation. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Um, so, so around this time, you said, you know, when you started getting into electronic music, you started taking the clubbing thing seriously. When was that? That was 94, uh-huh. so relatively late. If you talk to Marta uh, Garlic, my, my partner in crime here, yeah. you know, he's, he's been there many, many years before myself. Sure. But uh, uh, I was listening to a lot of music styles back uh, uh, and was a real grunge guy, actually, uh, uh, in, the, in the late 80s. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, with all the attributes, long hair, and, and I wish I would still have it. Uh, uh, and and uh, Again, you're winning on the hair front as yeah. well. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, but so I was in, in, in goth, rock, pop, uh, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and I don't know even where it happened, but in Hamburg, uh, in, I guess, going into some clubs, I listened suddenly to electronic music at the pure techno at Tech House back then what they called hard house and yeah. and actually it all started uh, funny enough with with a dub right so the 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 electronic version of reggae uh-huh because i was never i always liked darker music and not the happy one yeah. so reggae was not for me was too happy uh-huh but the dub i loved it and i also loved it for electronic stuff so anyway 94 95 i was basically it was a the greatest shock of my life, the most positive shock. Mm. I, I learned about these music styles and, and they did something to me. And, and I told you I'm a dancer. So, and this music is just so made for dancing. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I was in the few great clubs that Hamburg had back in the day because it, Hamburg was an R&B city. I guess to some degree it still is. Okay. So not not that electronic music back then, uh, uh, but they had a few clubs, and I knew them then all. And 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 then I listened to uh, uh, Evo Sonic Radio, uh-huh. the yeah. first electronic music station in in in, in satellite radio in, in Germany, uh, all day long during work, and it was just mind blowing. Right. And work was, you had a design agency, is that right? Um, uh, Web (coughs) and graphic design studio Uh serving advertisement agencies. Mm -hmm. I was lucky to work with some of the best advertisement agencies in in Germany back then. And um, basically uh, taking their stuff and get it print ready in the beginning and later on also some some web uh, jobs. Right, right. So at some point along the journey, you've got this kind of design background, you've got this business background, you've got this music background and this passion for electronic music. Tell me the Native Instruments story. How did that start and where did you come into it? The Native Instruments story starts, and I didn't know back then that it was the start, when my friend Bernd, again the Ableton Bernd, Bernd Roggendorf, Mm -hmm. one of the two founders of Ableton, and he was my best friend back then. And he, he said, look, uh, because he just got into synthesizers. Okay. He had a, I believe, a, was it a, a Yamaha workstation at home? Okay. <clears throat> and, you know, he just got into that. And then he, he, he read about the two founders of Native Instruments, Stefan and Falker. Uh-huh. He read an interview with them. And he, was, and he was a software developer. So he thought, like, wow, wait a second. My, my fresh passion for synthesis yeah. uh, 
and I'm a software developer. He was a really good guy. He still is a great software developer. And um, so I can help these guys. I think I can, can, can help them to create an even better software. Mm-hmm. So he approached them, um, offered his service, moved from Hamburg to Berlin. And then he said, uh, 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 sorry, three months back. So first he said, Daniel, there's the music messa back in 96. Mm-hmm. And I read about these guys. Do you just come, come just join me to mu- go to music mess in Frankfurt and, and, and visit their booth. Right. And so I visited native instruments, not having any idea in, in, in March or April of 96 that I would actually join them in September of the same year. Wow. I had no idea. I was just a friend of a friend Joining him, looking at this 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 crazy stuff that these guys were doing with the computer, turning it into a musical instrument, I was fascinated, but I didn't see myself in there at all. But I didn't get the idea. So now I jump uh, to I guess August of the same year. Burned is by now working with the folks, and then he we call basically every day because we're really good friends, and you know. And then he says, "Doc Daniel." We're just engineers and musicians, three of us. Now we start negotiating with certain parties. We really don't know how to turn this into a business. Right. Why don't you come and join us? Whoa, wait a second. (laughs) Because I was actually really happy in my old job. I liked Hamburg. I liked that. Honestly, I was a really happy person back then. Uh But then I said, like, All the CDs, I was a CD guy early on, uh-huh. all the electronic music CDs that I listened to. Yeah, I can see how this software company will actually enable and empower the musicians that I adore yep. to do even better music. And yeah, took me one, one night and said, yes, uh, traveled to Berlin, met with Stefan, said Stefan, you want me? He said, uh, yes, but I cannot pay you. I said, no problem. I'm going to bring some money. <clears throat> Give me some shares in the company. I'm going to be the managing director. Run it from here. And I built everything that business, the business structures that we need. And I will also try together with the team to provide a vision to us. That's what I did. Did it have to be Berlin or did it happen to be Berlin? I mean, the, the, people talk about Ste- Berlin as being the music tech Stefan capital. is from Berlin. Uh, he he he's not not a, he's not born mm-hmm. Berlin. He's not a Berliner, if you wish. But uh, he has been living here for a long time back then already. And yes, I don't believe in chances. There is a reason why Stefan lives in Berlin and does what he did. You know, it is like it's an environment of music, culture, and technology. Uh, uh, at least back then, it became more and more tech place and yes so uh, uh, berlin was a natural environment for people like stefan to prosper and to excel and uh and so i never challenged berlin as a as a place uh, for this because also a lot of our customers uh, uh future customers i must say were living in berlin so what was the vision back then from your perspective what what was the the big objective the very original thinking and you may laugh now but we basically had only one software called Generator, modular software synthesizer, now Reactor. 
and we thought it's so powerful that this is going to be basically the one and only software that anyone is going to use to right. create sound. This is the the engine for the future of this electronic music. This is the music. engine yeah. for for any possible electronic synthetic sound. Right. Uh, and everyone will love it and everyone will use it. That was the <laughs> that was the idea back then. To be fair, you weren't so far off as you could have been. You're right. Uh, uh, I guess just the actual execution of that idea differed then a lot. So yes, generator slash reactor uh, became a platform for many and also for us internally, mm -hmm. all prototypes of new instruments we were built with the uh, reactor. Yep. And, but then we, we, we pretty soon realized people want it a la carte. They want just this and not all of that. Uh -huh. And we then did our first try with the Pro 5, Profit 5 emulation, mm -hmm. and it worked amazingly well. Then we did the organ, and then we did more stuff. But we, 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 we just, Reactor then became more of a sound designer tool and a builder tool, yeah. uh, and not the every musician's tool. Right. Much too complex and, and not straightforward enough for that. At what point did it go from being a, essentially a software company to a hardware company? When we did not succeed to collaborate the way we wished to with the hardware manufacturers in our industry. Because we had a certain idea of how, how the software should be integrating with the hardware and also what hardware should look like. And then we had the MIDI protocol back then and neither the protocol nor the the way that the hardware manufacturers looked at at software was the way we wanted it to be and so it was really a mix of an opportunity and a necessity mm -hmm. we really felt to bring our great software to life we need the right gear to steer it and that's why we created started to create hardware and funny enough we started with uh, <laughs> The guitar with guitar rig and a foot controller. Uh -huh. uh, I'm now ignoring s very small hardware projects that we had before that. Mm -hmm. We had some actually from the beginning, and I, I may have said that before. Uh, funny enough, Native Instruments used to be from day one a software and hardware company, right? Because the very first version of Generator came with a monophonic. Sound card, of course. So yes. we had a sound card at the start. So the first thing that I did when I joined was kill that project because it was already uh, clear that other manufacturers would uh, 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 build better sound cards and not monophonic. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and also with a good latency. And uh, uh, it was not our core competency, so we dropped that, that hardware part. But then in, in, in 2004, with a foot controller, we really wanted that integration of guitar rig and, you know, like guitarists like to steer their sounds with sure. a with a foot. Uh, uh, that's what what we built, and then we took it from there. And we just uh, uh, had that then a couple of times, specifically in the DJ arena, change everything. We just didn't like the DJ controllers around, so we built our own, and uh, it was really integrating so closely with the software. And that was the experience that we wanted to provide to our users. And luckily, they liked it, and it 
was success. It seems like a very Berlin thing to consider. If I'm making things for musicians, I must also make things for DJs. That that is part of the the music environment, and that's therefore part of. I mean, it seemed like a natural thing for Native Instruments to do. But I wonder the extent to which that was part of the culture of the music at the time and the place. Yeah, funny enough, uh, if I wouldn't have met Marta, who joined us in '99. We would never have gone into the DJ space. Uh, Marta was an international DJ at the time, or had been. Um, and I was living on the dance floor whenever I was not working. Yeah. Uh, and so to me, the idea that we would also empower the DJs and not just the producers was very natural. Mm. But funny enough, I was uh, amongst the six founders of Native that all joined in 97. Uh-huh. Um, I was the only one that was really listening day to night electronic music. Right, really. Everyone else would listen to either rock or jazz. So Volker was a rock guy, uh, Stefan a jazz guy, Michael and Lawrence. I don't even know exactly what they listened to, but definitely not electronic music. Uh Uh, um, And none of them had a club culture background. Okay. So it was. I was literally the first one, and then I needed a companion on this. And when when Marta joined as artist relations manager, funny enough, that's uh, how I hired him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started immediately thinking about, wait a second, you know, is, aren't we ready to build a DJ software and da da da? And that's how it happened. Okay, because it seems like the other thing that the, the trajectory of Native Instruments has not just been to create. Uh, tools for musicians, but also tools that enable people to become musicians that who might not otherwise have been able to become musicians. When did that kind of kick in? Do you think from the beginning? Yeah, yeah, from the beginning because we we just saw these big synthesizer workstations, very heavy, large, uh, hard to navigate. You know the menu structure and da da da, and expensive. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to, that kind of sound to produce with that, you needed a very large home or a studio, uh, quite some money, uh, and so forth. And we really, from day one, the idea was, wait a second, we can turn a computer, uh, a standard device that anyone would have, mm. into a powerful sound creation device and bring down prices uh, uh, by 10 or more. Mm-hmm. So that was really part of the idea. More power for less money, and by that, available to many more people. And because the internet was uh, uh, becoming stronger and stronger, also from a distribution standpoint, obviously in the beginning, uh, specifically the crack distribution, uh, uh, it was really getting into the hands of so many more people than any other hardware synthesizer could ever before. So it was really in the, it's in the DNA of Native. You seem more than most uh, music tech CEOs relaxed about the idea of uh, cracked software existing in the world. Um, it seems like something either you've come to terms with or, or actually you had a philosophy about all along. What, what is your stance on that? Actually, it, it, it was a lot harder to get to this place uh, than it now sounds. Uh-huh. Um, we invested a lot of money in protecting our software. But, you know, there was a time where we realized, you know, we can do what we want. Maybe we can push out the crack by a month, maybe by two, maybe by four months. But 
Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? All that effort? Because we were a small company. We didn't have that many developers. And then you have a substantial portion of your development time work on a freaking copy protection algorithm? Come on, you know? And we tried a lot of different things. Crazy. <laughs> I remember when we had, we actually, our DVDs, we, had, we manually drilled holes into the CDs because it was part of the copy protection. <laughs> I cannot recall how it worked from an engineering perspective, but right. we literally had a, had, a, had a drill in the office and manually uh, uh, drilled, drilled holes the in all DVDs. That wow. was one of the first copy protection mechanisms that we, we had back then. Um, <clears throat> but again, there the, the, was just the realization at some point, and I, I don't even really know, uh, know when exactly it was, early 2000s, where, where I just said, look, guys, we invest so much money into copy protection why don't we invest it into creating even better product? And let's just work on product that comes with a price performance ratio that enough people want to actually pay for it. Mm -hmm. and it worked. We, we, we actually just, you know, and then we just considered cracks a, a marketing vehicle with, yeah, certain downsides. But as long as enough people are willing to buy, good with us. The affordability side of things is, is one way in which you've sort of tried to get music making technology into the hands of more people, but also the accessibility side of things is something there's a lot of talk at the moment about working with blind musicians, mm -hmm. uh, working with disabled musicians. Um, was there a point at which that sort of became a, a revelation or is always part of the roadmap or, or how did you approach this as an idea? I will go back 23 years. It's part of the DNA because... Uh, again, I was mentioning the workstations with their awkward menus and, and, and hard to actually modify anything. Um, we wanted to provide access with generator back then uh -huh. to sound manipulation that otherwise was, would be really hard to do, really hard to find. Mm -hmm. So even back then, even though the customer that we had in mind was more of a sound designer than a regular musician um that was all about accessibility you know yes also price uh, uh, but but also okay i want to tweak those 10 parameters here they are right you know and if you actually want them on the not in in, in some back panel but right in front of you you just build an instrument that has has them on it and mm -hmm. you could do that with generator so accessibility uh, uh, was very important and then the same about the hardware you know again access the power of the software in a way that you as a musician or as a dj want mm -hmm. so we get the right hardware in front of you so it, it is a constant theme um funny enough the part that we failed so far and i guess that we only get away with it because we're not the only ones in the industry to make the whole experience even much more easy so I think what we really did achieve, if you're an expert, we have some amazing price performance ratio offers for you with great accessibility. But now to get it into hands of even more, we need to make the software and the experience simpler. Just simpler. Without diluting on the power of it, but really have much easier entry points, and this is a big theme for us these days, simplifying the experience simplifying the product so that it's that it's not only for the people who know mm -hmm. 
uh, and that want to always dive deep, but, but uh, uh, that we can can embrace also a beginner that just wants to do the first steps and you know and just get excited about the results. Sure, sure. So from a technology perspective, one of the things that I've noticed, I was a, a judge at the South by Southwest Hackathon uh, mm-hmm. just recently. And of course, Native Instruments was a supporter of that. Native Instruments has supported the Hackathon at Music Tech Fest. What do you think the sort of the, the potential for innovation is in this kind of field at the moment? I mean, just the power of AI is changing, obviously, a lot, uh, uh, opening up all new doors, you know, Tech and in London and these kind of guys, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but it's also the convergence of the different technology blocks. Uh, you know, this whole embedded trend. You know, standalone, get rid of the computer. Um, there's so much to 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 innovate um, to make things again. Getting back to the theme, more accessible. Mm-hmm. I think there is. Uh, tremendous uh, potential we're actually going to run a hackathon here uh, all week hackathon anyone in the company can can participate literally right. anyone so it can be accountant folks whatever mm-hmm. if you have an idea uh, around uh, in this hackathon is actually uh, around integration meaning so can mean anything, okay. you know, integrate hardware with software, integrate uh, 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 DJing with uh, music production. You know, I'm, I'm just high level, you know, yeah. but you can also be um, integrate education uh, uh, modules with products, uh, uh, you know, what have you. And, and, and actually, it can be anything. The last hackathon was, was incredible. You know, we had uh, the documentation team coming up with all new ways to uh, um, allow people to learn about how software works with an online component that they built during that hackathon. So it can be anything. And uh, again, this one, this time is integration. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of innovative uh, new ideas of how to do things. Mm -hmm. But there's not one North Star in terms of this is the area of innovation that will uh, change it all besides maybe AI. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of different trends in, in, in our and other industries that that influence uh, the way that innovation goes. But again, can be I, I can not name the one thing that I believe is now going to revolutionize everything. It's right. a lot of different things that together may have a revolutionary experience. Because people put it all on 5G or blockchain or AI or, you know, augmented reality or whatever it might be. You think it's, uh, there's something in the combination of those it's things? In the, in absolutely. Uh, and uh, as I said, AI is maybe the only exception. Right. You know, uh, data, data and AI, specifically in music, uh, um, will have a tremendous influence on, on, on uh, the future of music making uh, and, and empower a lot more again accessibility you know uh, uh, have an assistant that helps you to build the track that you actually always wanted but couldn't um, I think there is a, a, a tremendous potential there but uh, yeah it's gonna I'm, I'm looking forward to all the crazy new ideas that people can come up with and that also we here uh, uh, build upon but again I don't think it's this one revolutionary thing it's really connecting the cloud with embedded devices and uh, simplify things and you know yes of course a massive X will maybe uh, push the envelope of, of uh, synthesis again mm-hmm. uh, uh, quite a bit but I wouldn't consider that on its own a revolution it's just another big step forward 
Sure. Let's talk about the company you built just just briefly, because you talk about started with sort of four, five, six people. Uh, Where are we at now? We are at almost 600 people, I think. I wouldn't know today, but something like 570, 580 Mm -hmm. uh, across seven offices. The, but the, the, the heart of the organization remains to be in Berlin with 450 people or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we came a long way from these six folks that uh, joined back in 97. Mm. I've talked to a few people while I've been here, and uh, there's one of the things that comes up again is the culture of the place, the social aspect of it, uh, particularly in the last couple of years where there have been sort of spaces designed for people to hang yes. out together. Have you been in the native space? I haven't yet, no. Uh, no, no, you have to go there. We Let's let's go there sure. later. It's, it's, um, Tell me about that. Yeah, the, the, the native space was a very important uh, 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 thing to do because, uh, you know, uh, the listeners can now not that haven't been here uh, can maybe not envision how, how a native is set up. But basically, we've grown on this premises, or actually it's by now four different houses, uh-huh. uh, um, from two floors to some 20 floors. What did this used to be? They had a lot of different manufacturing. Yeah, it looks uh, very uh, factory uh, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an old, it's, it's built in the, in the early 20th century. Uh-huh. I think actually 1899 or so, you know, a typical warehouse style yeah. manufacturing uh, facility with, you know, the typical Berlin three courtyards, one after another, you know, it has sure. this depth that you don't see from the street. Yeah. And, and, and we basically, as we were growing, uh, we always grabbed another floor from the landlord wherever it became available. Uh-huh. And that's why we basically spread out across back then two buildings, and then by now four, uh-huh. four different buildings, and again something like twenty, twenty-two floors, and and the problem about that is it's really beautiful here. We're in the let's say in a very creative environment of Berlin, mm-hmm. uh, close to the River Spray, and and, and it's, it's it's some good restaurants here, so it's really cool. The neighborhood is great, but we never see each other. Right. Everyone goes to their floor, right? And, and and you work in that building and they work in that building and you are on that floor in the f- whatever fifth uh, uh, story and the one the other one on the ground floor. And and you just don't naturally run into each other, mm-hmm. which was one of the powers back then. I honestly, and I like to tell that story, you know, I met everyone at the coffee machine. Yeah. We had from the beginning a cappuccino and a proper Italian cappuccino machine, right? Yeah. And, and I met everyone there. And by now, uh, actually, we just changed that. But anyway, we have, I don't know how many coffee machines. Uh-huh. And you, it's impossible to meet everyone. So we, we came up with this idea that we need this one place where people can get together again. And for whatever purpose, they can meet there, they can work there, you know, like in a cafe. Uh-huh. Uh, they can uh, cook their lunch because we have a couple of uh, stoves. And, uh, um, you know, just or just hang out and, and or have visitors. And, and, and that really changed a lot. Suddenly, Native Instruments becomes, again, tangible. Uh-huh. Ah, this is the people that work here, you know? And, oh, wow, okay, that's the vibe. And that made, made a big difference. Hmm. Can I ask what you're listening to now? Um, much more diverse much more eclectic, uh, 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 as probably many people these days. Uh, um, I'd say 50% remains to be electronic music. Um, 
but I'm, yeah, I even got into neoclassic at some point, which I never thought I would, but yeah. I, I got there. So Niels from Yeah, like, there's a lot more overlap between by, those worlds now. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And, and, uh, but I also, funny enough, I, believe it or not, I stopped listening to ACDC probably in, let me say, 87, because I was embarrassed. Before that, uh, it was my favorite band. Uh-huh, yeah. um, I listen to them now again, I, and I love it. You know, it's just amazing what the, those guys did back then. You know, it's, Nostalgia it's is a wonderful so thing. So nostalgia, too, absolutely. So I, I get a lot of input from, from you know, my colleagues and friends uh, on, on new tracks. And at the same time, I, I dig into my old crates and, and, and pull out a lot. And when I say old crates, I'm, I still mean, I, I mean Spotify. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's the same records, but on Spotify, because I want it convenient. Uh-huh. I'm a very digital person when it comes to that. Right. So uh, uh, I, there's not one thing that I could could mention right now uh, because it's 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 just uh, all over the place. But I would say in my music ecosystem, it's it's rock and electronic. These two are the strongholds, and then a lot of little things surrounding it. Uh, uh, this is. You know, on a high level. The spice and variety you yes, sprinkle yes. around. I've got one last question, and, and actually it comes from one of your staff, because uh, when I came here I was uh, at the reception and uh, I spoke to the guy there and I said, look, if you were me, what would you ask Daniel Haver? And it was a, such a fantastic question, I, I have to ask it to you. He said almost straight away, what's the biggest asset that Native Instruments has that will keep it going for the next 10 to 20 years? It may sound again cliche, but it's our people. It's really we have some of the most talented people uh, in this company, specifically when it comes to digital signal processing, uh, engineering, uh, but also we have a strong legacy in marketing and all other areas of the company and and quite frankly uh, um, I'm working right now with with my executive team on fostering much more from our people because they have to actually what what happened over time you know you become a large organization and then everyone is a specialist on something and that's what you request from them but we have so wonderful and talented people that really know much more than what they were specifically hired for, and we want to foster that uh, a lot more. So I uh, honestly believe we have grown just an amazing team over, over these 20 years. And that together with, obviously, the product and brand history, you know, uh, but products and brands, wonderful. They got us here. But in order to master the future, we need the best people in this company. And I'm lucky to say we, we have some of the best people in the world. Uh, literally, I actually just shared with the team in the last team meeting, we increased in the last two years the nationalities from 30-something to 43 now. Uh, different nations just working here in Berlin, coming from everywhere uh, 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 around the globe, and yeah, it's that, that really this what makes what allows us to do what we do because we have these great people. And just quick supplementary question: Is that your approach as a leader to build on the people? Mm. It is because. 
that's what I always did. And I have to admit, I'm, I not always did it great. And especially the last two years, the company was really challenged with the growth and the new um, goals we took on. And I think I, I as a leader and the company as a whole didn't always deliver on that idea. But in the end, I told you, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a musician. But what you actually do is build products <laughs> built upon technology for musicians. Uh -huh. So what role can someone like me play other than be a facilitator um, that works with great people? And that's, by the way, last word here to my former industry. I always worked there with great art directors. I was never a great art director myself. But I was always facilitating services to make other people better. And so this is the, my history. So Because, again, I couldn't program any of what we do here. I wouldn't be able to build any of what we do here. And I wouldn't even be able to properly play what we do build here. So, yes, it gets back to find the right people, put them together, and allow them to, um, to just use their creativity and their talent to the highest degree, obviously aligned on a joint vision. But again, I will be honest, the last two years were tough on that end, uh, but I'm very happy that right now we bring it out of them again and build structures and, and a, a more transparent company culture that will allow us to again foster to the degree that we always did our people. Daniel Hager, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure. And that's the MTF podcast. We're wrapping things up here at MTF Frankfurt today, and we've had an amazing experience as part of Music Mesa. Next up, we're going to be heading to Pula in Croatia. I'm going to be telling you more about that one in the weeks to come. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, found it interesting, or at the very least can think of someone else who might, feel free to share, like, rate, review, and subscribe. We'll talk soon, and in the meantime, have a great week. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.